0: This is 16.9 Projects, I'm Michael Tutton. I'm insatiably will be curious and excited about finding great work done in digital signage and visual communications. This podcast is designed to dig into some of those projects, find out what they're all about and how they came together. That might be a big experiential job, a massive video wall, projection mapping, or a cool one-to-one interactive project. Each episode will get into the thinking behind the project and how it came together by talking to the people responsible. Just like the Mothership Podcast 16.9, this one's available online, or you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or using your favourite podcast listening app. I'm grateful and excited to announce that the podcast now has a sponsor thanks to Mahler Digital Signage. That's right, 16.9 Projects is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Put your digital signage network in expert hands. Every year, Toronto hosts Bank Nuit Blanche, an overnight art event that takes place across the entire city. In 2015, Sapient Nitro, now Sapient Razorfish, had just moved into their new offices and worked with their landlord, Allied Reet, to come up with something interesting for the lobby of the building. The idea they came up with was Mimir's Well, a very old story about the Norse god Olden, who sacrificed his eye to drink from Mimir's Well and gain the wisdom and memory of the Nine Worlds. Using Kinect technology, Unity 3D animation, and parametric speakers, guests stepping up to one of the nine sides of the exhibition were met with screens showing their own reflections, which soon morphed them into an animal of Norse lore. As visitors experimented with their newly adopted forms, sound enveloped them while their surroundings transformed into one of the nine Norse worlds. I spoke with Graham Amaron, who is Associate Creative Director at Sapien Razorfish, about the technology and thinking behind this 12-hour installation. Thanks for joining the podcast, Graham. I was wondering if you could explain uh, first, before you describe the project, maybe what uh, New, Nuit Blanche is.
1: Yeah, uh, Nuit Blanche is uh, it's an art festival. It's, um, it's a free annual um, sort of citywide um, art show, so to speak. Um, it uh, is in many uh, cities in Canada. I think it started in um, France, actually. But um, in, uh, in Toronto, it happens once a year. And uh, it's this cool event um, where from 7 p.m. until 7 a.m., you know, people can go around, walk around the streets and see various art installations and art pieces. Um, The cool thing about it as well is that it's, you know, all kinds of um, scope and scale of these exhibits and um, experiences that people have. So. Some is very lo-fi, um, some is very, um, you know, down and dirty, but some is more kind of technically um, complicated or a little bit more intricate. Um, so you get the kind of the gamut and the scale of um, of all, um, you know, different uh, experiences and different um, art uh, expressions. So uh, a lot of Canadian and Toronto artists, but also some international ones as well.
0: And how did the stars align for you guys to be doing a project for Nuit Le Blanche? yeah it's a pretty cool and interesting
1: story um we had an agency brief um we thought you know let's let's try to do a project uh celebrate toronto to kind of you know put our mark on the city to um you know we were about to move offices um downtown was a big move to this new um, qrc west building which i'll talk about more in a second this is where the exhibit took place but a big shift was happening with the company so we thought you know Maybe a good opportunity would be to participate in something that was very um, dear to Torontonians and and Canadians. So we thought we should try to participate uh, in Nuit Blanche. So, you know, I was thinking this was pretty ambitious because I had been to Nuit Blanche a few times, um, saw some really cool work, and was kind of, you know, wondering could we actually get into this show as well. So what we did is we um, came up with a proposal. Um, A bunch of us, uh, a few key players, sat down and sort of figured out some ideas. And basically there was, you know the sky was the limit as far as what we were going to do um so you know we had no no real barriers or no real um container to work within which is you know both good and bad i suppose because um anything is is sort of possible and it can drive you a bit crazy but um you know we we got together we spent you know many weeks uh really thinking about what would be cool what we what inspired us um you know part of the company's uh, mandate as well is the idea of storytelling and technology, and that kind of beautiful intersection between the two. So we really wanted to focus on a nice story and something that was um, inspirational and compelling, but also how did that mix with technology? Because we are a technology company, and we want to kind of showcase and show off what we're able to to accomplish in, in that regard. So we came up with our idea. We felt really good about it. We put together um, some, you know, some creative some slides, and then we submitted it uh, to the city of Toronto, and then pretty much waited for you know, a month or two and then till we got, uh, the call. So that was a pretty exciting day. Um, the person from Toronto actually called me and, uh, you know, to my surprise sort of, because I've never done something like this before. Um, they were very enthusiastic and very excited about our project and we're really kind of looking forward to us, um, realizing this, this vision and this idea. Um, so, you know, we were super happy to actually, um, be invited to be a part, um, of, of this, this cool, uh, Nuit Blanche, um, event.
0: Yeah, it certainly is an honor to be accepted to, to Nuit Blanche. What did you guys end up creating for Nuit Blanche?
1: Right. So, uh, that's, that's, that's the big story. So it's, 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 um, uh, quite a large installation, I guess I'd call it. Um, so like I said earlier, we were, um, Moving buildings uh, from downtown Toronto, um, so the building that was being built is where we are today, which is called QRC West. So that's downtown uh, Toronto, and um, as the building, you know, was getting ready to house tenants and house our company, um, was also coincided, coincidentally, it was very kind of serendipitous how all these things come together, but it co- coincided with uh, the Nuit Blanche. Uh, event. so we, you know, at the time we came up with the our with our concept and our idea, we didn't know that this would be the location. We had brainstormed, you know, outdoor alleyways, um, parks, all kinds of places. But ultimately, um, it, it aligned that our building, building's lobby, this QRC West uh, building, was uh, was available. And then our um, landlord, Allied Reed, um, wanted to kind of help co-produce um, this with us um, and. Uh, really kind of helped make this happen. So it was kind of this beautiful um, um, uh, moment of uh, of opportunity, and it just kind of everything kind of stars aligning to to have this space. So um, what we um, what we did was this this again, this space is um, just to quickly describe uh, the building for people who might not know it. Um, it's an old historic building uh, in downtown Toronto uh, it was several factories over the years. It's about one hundred and fifty years old. And so what Ally Reed did to uh, create this new building is actually built around it. So you kind of have this shell of this old factory about five floors tall, this old brick and kind of beam type building. And then built on top is this big glass structure, very modern, very contemporary, um, about like, I don't know, 15 floors built on top of this old building. So essentially it's a building on top of a building. Uh, the lobby is massive. It's about you know 100 foot, uh, 150 foot ceilings. Um, and these giant, what they call, delta struts that kind of support the roof. Um, So these giant X-beams. And so if you're able to see some of the creative uh, from our event, you'll you'll notice these really beautiful um, white, um, kind of like look like giant Xs that help support this massive structure in this really vast and open um, lobby. So this was the um, the setting, uh, the landscape for the piece. Um, The uh, story that we were inspired by is um, from Norse mythology uh, and it's the story of Mimir's well. And so Mimir's well um, is, is, is an actual well that exists in one of the nine Norse worlds. So um, the well is a place um, whose waters are somewhere you go to gain wisdom and gain knowledge. And so the god Odin, who I'm sure some people have heard of, um, he's the king of the gods in Norse mythology, He wanted to drink from the wells of Mimir's well. Sorry, drink from the water of Mimir's well. Um, But in order to do so, he had to sacrifice one of his eyes. So um, there's this kind of cool quote by Odin that says, an eye is a small price to pay for all the wisdom and memory of the nine worlds. So um, we kind of use that as a tagline a little bit for our for our exhibit. But we love this story of you know Odin coming to this well to gain knowledge. We love the idea in Norse mythology that there's also nine worlds. So Um, We like this idea of somehow portraying uh, these nine places. The nine worlds are super cool, like, you know, as far as, you know, getting your imagination going and these really um, uh, vivid landscapes and lands of fire, land of ice, land of caves, um, things like that. So there's so many these these very lush and and sort of beautiful um, stories um, in each of these nine worlds. So we wanted to tell uh, that story. And so the way we did so um, was to, to actually build this well, to build Namir's Well. Um, and so we had um, a, a master builder, uh, Jeremy, who um, helped us come up with um, this structure. And so this well is, is quite quite large. It's, um, let's say, 15 feet wide. Um, the front edge is about one and a half feet off the ground. And then it goes back, you know, when you stand in front of it, probably, um, you know, four or five feet um, there's this water in the well. And then, four or five feet beyond you is this giant kind of structure of televisions, fifty foot screens that um, surround the the inside of the well. So imagine nine TVs vertically uh, in a circle. Outside of that circle is water, and then outside of that water is the edge of the well. So essentially, you walk up to the well and you you're able to see a reflection in the water, you're also able to see, a screen or sort of like a mirror uh, in front of you. So um, we built this, this uh, sculpture. Um, it's this cool kind of combination of technology and, um, and more traditional um, sculpture, if you will. Um, so these TVs, um, each house on each screen, one of the nine Norse worlds. So the idea is, depending on where you stand, you'll be facing into one of these um, nine worlds. Um, always with the well being between you and and the screen in front of you. So um, the technology we used, um, you know, is one that's been used many times, but it's, you know, we like the idea of um, Microsoft Connect that kind of you know captures motion and is able to track movement. So we use that technology, but kind of in a fresh and interesting way um, so that, you know, a user would walk up to this well and then they would be um, transformed into a creature and the creature was either a bear or a wolf. And as they kind of transform, uh, it's, it, again, it's, it's cool to see uh, people actually interact because they, they realize quite quickly that this is actually them um, as a bear or as this wolf. And they start to kind of move around and realize that this is now them. Um, so while they're being transformed in this, into this uh this bear or wolf, they're also looking into a very lush and beautiful landscape that represents one of the worlds. So let's say, for example, they're looking in the world which is called Muspelheim, which is the world of fire. Um, so they're in this fiery world. They're now a bear. They're moving around. They're looking around. And then they're noticing that as you kind of dip left or right, you're. it's almost like a VR experience where you're seeing you know, a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right. You can look up. You can look down and get a good sense of, of this environment Um, And while you're doing that, um, there's these rich soundscapes that are being projected at you um, through parametric speakers. So parametric speakers, um, really what they do is sort of channel audio in sort of a very specific focused place. So, um, you know, if you're too much to the left or too much to the right, you might not hear as well. But when you're right in front of these, uh, in front of this experience, you're really hit with this bed of sound, uh, which is, again, quite striking. And it's very rich. It's very deep. uh, And it really pulls you in. Um, so as you're getting hit with this soundscape and these beautiful visuals, a voiceover is, can be heard, which is actually kind of um, um, explain, explaining to you what this world is all about. So it's telling you you're in the world of fire. It's giving you a bit of history, a little bit of context of what, uh, what that world actually means. Um, so kind of a lot of things happening, <laughs> um, as I just described. And the idea is that you experience this world— and then you move along to the next one and to the next and to the next. And, and that's what's kind of what fun to see is how users are actually, you know, they would see one, they'd be pretty excited and, and uh, want to move on to the next and to the next. And a lot of people were actually going around all nine worlds. So they could really get a sense of, you know, uh, these different environments and uh, these different creatures, whether it be the bear or the wolf. Um, it was kind of a random, um, you get associated with one of those randomly. Um, the, uh, the other cool thing, we used Unity sorry, I can't say that, Unity, um, to um, as a technology uh, to to create the 3D environments. And it's um, uh, really cool, um, uh, you know, I should have set up in the beginning as well, the art direction for this whole experience is a sort of low polygon style. Um, and I really liked, you know, as an art director, this sort of concept of reducing Um, the forms and the shapes um, to their to their simplest element. So how how small or how few um, facets, polygons could we show but actually convey um, a a person or convey a character and convey a place. And this played out in the art direction of the screens but also in the sculpture itself. So the the well was actually this faceted um, uh, structure. Um, So in addition to um, the well-experienced, I'll call it, we also had a couple of sculptures um, in the space uh, in this lobby. So we actually built a bear and a wolf, again in this low polygon sort of style. So they kind of mimicked um, the digital in uh, the physical space, uh, which we which we thought was pretty impactful. Um, and the bear, you know, was quite tall; was like six and a half feet tall, very majestic. Uh, and then the wolf was like, you know, eight feet long by like six feet tall. So these giant sculptures um, that, again, help to kind of contextualize the space um, and and bring some some depth to the experience. So it's, you know, physical and uh, digital together. Uh, and then I think the last point about all of this is that as you come into the lobby from the outdoors, and again, you have to imagine this is at night for Nuit Blanche, right? It's from 7 p.m. until 7 a.m. So um, it's very, very dark outside, but very um moody and ambient, uh, lighting and sound on the inside. So it was very striking as you walk by the building, these glass, you know, fronts you see into, you know, you see these sculptures being illuminated. You see this well, you see the screen. So it's quite, quite impactful that way. Um, and, uh, again, the last thing I wanted to point out was that as you did walk into the lobby, um, some really beautiful, intense, powerful soundscapes, uh, would envelop you as well. Um, the lobby was recreated to be what's this place called Jodenheim which is, um, again, one of the nine Norse worlds where Mimir's well lives. So the soundscape as you walked in was creaking ice, snow, whist- you know, rustling wind. Then you hear these creatures kind of growling. And so it's very um, atmospheric, very, um, I don't know, you really got a sense of um, unease, I guess, as you walked in. So, again, this very kind of 360 experience, I'd say. So it's sculpture, it's sound, it's audio. Um, it's really... Um, all these beautiful things brought together um, for this for this experience.
0: I'd like to thank our sole sponsor, Mahler Digital Signage, for their patronage. It helps cover the costs and means the podcast can visit DSC to gather some more great interviews. Here's Mahler's Luis Villafane. Hi there. This is Luis from Mahler Digital Signage. You can find us at
1: MahlerDSO.com. We plan, install, and manage digital signage networks for marketing projects, advertising, and retail. We don't sell PCs, we don't sell screens, we don't sell advertising or do physical installations. At Mahler Digital Signage, we offer an all-around consultancy service and project management that will help you find the best hardware and software solutions to deploy from scratch your digital signage network. We adapt to what your company needs from small to large networks with a direct support from our engineers within 20 minutes. So at Mahler, we manage and design networks. We manage and design digital science networks. That is it. Check out our website at www.mahlerdso.com.
0: When the project was originally envisioned, Uh, were all of these things included or was it organic as you started to realize you were working in that space? Did you decide to add sound to it? Things like that.
1: Um, I think we always knew we would, we would have these pieces, but I think they became more amplified as we, you know, got into the space. The the cool thing with the space is that it was new and no one had really been in it yet. Um, it was still being built. So we, you know, had these sneak peeks of getting inside and, you know, we had to put hard hats on and everything. Um, but as we started to experience exactly, you know, the scope and scale of all this, then it started to maybe dial things up a bit, I might say. So, um, for example, with sound in, you know, the ambient sound, we knew that that had to be pretty powerful because it' was such a huge, um, um, huge space. And then the well would have to be a certain dimension. Sculpture should be a certain dimension. So everything would have impact and feel, um, feel, you know, powerful and striking
0: was the project envisioned uh originally for something else and then you guys decided to bring it to Nuit Blanche Uh, I'm trying to work out whether this was a like an original art project that somebody had in mind and you guys grew it into this or whether it was envisioned for a different project and that didn't come through and you moved it over to Nuit Blanche
1: right uh it's a great question this was actually purely for Nuit Blanche it was this this uh purely artistic storytelling piece Um, so we're really fortunate you know oftentimes in in this type of you know advertising or technology, um, you don't always get to do just a, a you know a for fun type project. So we really um, did it specifically for Nuit Blanche. Um, we did it with the intent of being a one day only experience. Um, but it was it was it worked out well for us because Nuit Blanche um, was extending some exhibits. Uh, there's a few that were invited to be ten days long instead of just one night. So we actually had this up for ten days. Um, which, which was, which was nice, because um, again, it was a lot, obviously, a lot of work and a lot of, a lot of elements there.
0: And does it exist in any way now, or was it put to bed after Nuit Blanche? Yeah,
1: it was pretty much put to bed, um, except for the sculpture exists today in our uh, lobby and in our building. So we were able to keep that. Um, it's, again, these sculptures are really quite huge. Um, and, and quite, uh, quite impactful, you know, in the entranceway, for example, of, of our offices. So we were able to keep the sculptures, the wolf and the bear, and then we did salvage one screen of one of the nine worlds that we have set up um, with a connect on top, so it's like you can sort of get, you know, if we have a visitor in the building or, or a client, we can sort of show them a very small taste of, of what the, the whole experience was.
0: Can you maybe explain what's happening? I think everyone understands what the Connect is, but maybe if you could explain what happens from the moment that the Connect is capturing your image or your motion, through until the point at which you see that on the screen. What's going on there? I mean, you mentioned Unity, but what uh, what's connecting the Connect to Unity, and what's Unity doing, and and that kind of thing?
1: Right, great question. I'll do my best to answer that. I'm I'm very much the the creative, uh, art director design side, but I'm going to try to. Uh, as best as I understand it, explain. Um, and again, this project had a lot of people involved, a lot of technical uh, technical people, a lot of developers, uh, a lot of programmers. Uh, Rune um, uh, Rune Entertainment, uh, they did a lot of the 3D and the Unity work. So um, basically Unity is, um, I think, used for gaming um, primarily, or I'm not sure primarily, but it's used uh, in gaming quite a bit. So it's this way of, of rendering... Um, objects or rendering elements in real time so what what's happening in you know very basic speak is the connect is capturing um your movement and then somehow speaking with unity where it's um creating uh, a form uh, and then you know mapping your movement and then real-time building and and repositioning assets or elements on the screen um, so one thing I started to sort of explain, but I'll explain better is, um, uh, for example, the idea of reflection and refraction uh, is all this real time, uh, is real time rendered. So um, these characters in the world were semi-reflective. So as again as you're moving and and exploring your new form uh, through Connect, you're seeing the the reflections and the refractions um, of your environment. Um, since you are kind of a low polygon model you have a lot of surfaces a lot of angles and a lot of area Um, so essentially that that's my hopefully that makes some kind of sense and hopefully it's half accurate but I think uh, more or less it's just the idea of um, connect capturing the movement sending that through and then unity is um, creating a visualization um, of of that movement and then you have control over how that looks and feels and that's that's where the art kind of comes into into the whole thing.
0: And was the low polygon choice out of necessity because Unity could only maximize the number of polygons or was it more of a creative decision?
1: Yeah, it's funny because it, 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 it is uh, much more efficient and effective um, and more like um, it makes sense for for 3D programs to render more, more quickly with lower polygons. But um, in all honesty, that art direction was um, figured out before we even knew what... Um, what we were using before we had any clue of the technology. You know, we were, a few of us in a room, just started with kind of sky's the limit thinking. And um, again, I think the reason why I was attracted to that art direction was um, the idea of, again, reducing elements to their to their simplest um, forms. And I was thinking more so in terms of sculpture uh, and physical um, elements, such as, again, like the well itself or as, the, as a sculpture. And then it... it obviously translates very well into the digital space because um yeah low, low polygon does render quicker we could have you know increased the polygons but you'll you'll see you know when when you get the chance to look at some of this that it's actually pretty much we reduced it to the to as, as simple as we could and we didn't have to technically but we wanted to
0: what kind of unique challenges did you face in building this
1: right um well i think for a lot of us it was the first at doing anything of this kind of this nature um you know, the 3D company Rune Entertainment who, who helped us out. They do a lot of like game design and 3D animation, but um, not sure how much of like actual um, installation work they had done. And for us, it was a bit of a first. Um, we hadn't, we hadn't never worked with um, like a builder before to actually build, um, like a, build a housing, build a container, build this well for the piece. So there was a lot of, um, a lot of net news for all of us. And, you know, setting up before the, uh, before the exhibit, a lot of, like, late nights, just sitting there testing and, and, and figuring things out. And um, so so definitely lots of learnings. One thing we did learn quite early on, because, you know, speaking of art direction, there were, I think there was a time when it was, we were thinking more, uh, a little bit more reality-based. Uh, but we did some tests in the office, and it was kind of interesting where we, uh, some of our developers were working on, you know, just tracking movement with connect And on the screen, they just had, like, a simple... Like a, like a couple of cubes that were like representing the person, um, just to see how they could you know could they map the movement well and all that stuff. So what we were finding is people in the office were actually like stopping by the computers and and seeing themselves as you know as a ball or as a square or as a cube, and we actually very uh, it was amazing to see how how engaged people were just at the simplest representation of themselves. As soon as they realized, hey, if I move my arm, this thing moves. Um, that was where the power of interactivity. Ah, uh, really shone through. So it wasn't about does this look like my reflection. It was about like, hey, this is, this is this cool um, reflection of, of me and my movements. So that also helped kind of reinforce the idea that it was more the experience uh, than like having to be realistic.
0: And is this project one of those examples where you were doing something that you weren't paid for, but will be taking learnings and applying to paid client work?
1: Exactly, exactly. That was the idea as well as to, to, to learn a bunch. And also, you know, we had clients come out and invited them to the, to the event to see, you know, cause we want to use this as a bit of a, uh, you know, a showcase to say, Hey, here's stuff we can do. So we have had, um, interest, um, you know, in like, not this in particular, cause it was kind of a strange weird and wonderful art piece, but like taking some of those elements, you know, as far as, you know, interactivity, as far as, um, experiential, um, things like that is actually worked out for us. Um, and also working with Allied REIT, the building um, owners, um, we've, we've been able to do um, another big project since with them uh, for Pride, uh, which was pretty cool. So we're finding doors opening by, by doing this type of thing. It was an investment, of course, from, from the company, but uh, it's, it's, it's proving to, to pay off.
0: Are there any advantages or disadvantages due to doing a project that's just a temporary installation versus something that's a permanent installation?
1: Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think with temporary, there's, you know, there's a lot of excitement and um, you're all kind of driving for this one event or this very limited um, chance for, for the public or for people to to experience um, this the, the creation um, I don't know. I mean, it'd be nice if things could, you know, in this case, I've only had the experience to work on these more temporary um, type installations. So it would be nice if it could hang around longer. So I think there's definitely, you know, value and excitement if things are around longer. But I guess um, as I'm saying that I am, I am starting to think about some of the stuff I've seen where um, I guess, you know, the limited run type type vibe, uh, you know, makes it maybe a little more exclusive and could perhaps more fun. Not sure.
0: And were there any learnings more in a philosophical than a you know practical way? Uh, any learnings about interaction and the way people uh, interact with screens from this?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great uh, a great question because um, you know the real uh, satisfaction and the real beauty of this whole crazy piece um, came about during the event itself. So we had prepared for a few months. Um, doing all the building and the construction and the testing and all this. And then it came down to, you know, actually putting this thing in front of people um, for this, you know. And and we, you know, we didn't know, like, are the TVs going to burn out or, you know, are is one going to crash into the water? Like, we, you know, all these scenarios play through our minds. A lot of us, again, this was a bit of a first. But the, the real satisfaction came when it was actually, you know, the night of. And you started to see people um, actually interacting and actually – Playing with and having fun um, and enjoying this piece uh, piece of art, um, and you know it was one of the co-creators of this uh, took me aside. It was like four a.m. on Louis Blanche. You imagine it's all night, and even at four a.m., there's like hundreds of people in this lobby, and they're all like all nine sides of this well are occupied by people moving around and 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 you know leaning in and 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 having fun. And then, so and he remarked to me, he's like, you know, look at all these people. There's young and old too, even kids, adults, uh, all ages. And, and really, you know, he was, he was noting that people really lost themselves for a few moments. You know, you kind of look silly if you imagine like you're moving around, kind of not quite dancing, but moving your arms, moving your legs, moving your head, leaning in, leaning out to really see yourself as these characters. Um, you're kind of looking a bit strange um, if, you, if you concentrate on, on yourself and the physical you. But people were losing themselves in the experience. And I think that was kind of the 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 coolest part um, for a lot of us is to actually see people just, you know, it's like, you know, seeing a great movie perhaps where you're, again, forget about a bit where you are and who you are. You sort of observe yourself in, into the experience. So that was uh, quite rewarding.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time to speak to us today, Grant.
1: Appreciate yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity. Take care. Thanks.
0: That's all for this episode of Sixteen Nine Projects. If you've seen a project in the wild and said to yourself, "Now that's cool," I'd love to hear about it and maybe feature it on an upcoming episode. You can reach me at michael at crowncontent.ca. This podcast is a companion to the Sixteen Nine podcast, which talks to smart people doing interesting things in this business. It's also tied in with Sixteen Nine, which is the website to read if you really want to learn about the digital signage industry. You'll find that at 16 9net this podcast is produced by me in Toronto and is a product of Vertical Media Consulting Group. The massive media empire, my buddy Dave Haines runs out of his house down the highway in Burlington, Ontario. This podcast is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Check them at MahlerDSO.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Tutton.